Describing difficulties that we can face and why we may be in them, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. You don't have enough money to get out of this jam. You don't have enough wisdom to get out of this. You don't have enough strength to get out of this. You realize you have no power. You are where you are. It could be your bad decisions that got you there. It could be the bad decisions of someone else that got you there. But the reason why you're suffering and the reason why, why the trial is there and reason why things are in so upheaval in your life is to teach you you obedience. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Suffering, difficulties, and trials. There's been no shortage of that in recent months, but if we're mature enough to see, they're a good teacher in life. And it's why, as it's been said, no one is exempt from the school of suffering. Even Jesus went to the school, as we'll hear about today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. As we open Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is learning obedience through the things he suffered. Before we get there, Pastor Ed shares a personal story to illustrate another important truth. It just struck me recently in a couple weeks, check this out, this punk from Southern California, me, I'm speaking to me, not you, me, <laughs> that barely made it out of high school, barely made it out of high school, barely graduated, got my little certificate, took me 15 years to finally finish my associate's degree in theology after 15 years of pastoring a church. I finally got my little certificate on the wall that says I'm a, I'm a degreed person. I have my little associate's degree right there on my wall. I'm going to California in two weeks and actually teaching a class at Bible college. <laughs> Only God could do something like that. Like this guy that can barely, is barely educated himself, although like I'm a student because my life was so backwards. I just share that. It just came to me right now. It didn't come to me last night, but I just share that because maybe some of you, you kind of look at your life. It's backwards. It's not the way you want it to go. Listen, God has a will and a purpose for you. You stay close to him. You follow him, and he will do things in your life that will shock you. And so now the leaders, those that are the leaders of the Calvary Chapel Bible College in California invited me to teach this class. And you can just pray for me. It's in a couple weeks. It'll be Monday through Thursday. And what a joy. This is what I get to do. I get to take 30 or 40 kids and teach them about the gifts of the Spirit so that by the end of the class, then not only will they know their gifts, but we would have been worshiping together so much that they'll be able to exercise their gifts and be able to tell someone else and walk them through the whole thing, just like we did here. We've done it twice here as a church. So if you weren't here for the spiritual gift study, you can go to Romans or you can go to the book of John up on the website and there are all of the gifts, the seven primary gifts. But it just reminded me as I took you, I'm gonna to get to give grades, that's gonna be great. So I give all you guys A++, all of you, and then we'll pop quiz you at some time just so you know, you don't have to be confused by the cultists at the door. The Bible is understandable. You have the spirit of God living in you. Even if somebody confuses you, the Bible says what it says, not what someone says it says. And you can just read it and let it speak for itself. 
But Jesus is deity. He's greater than the angels because he's deity. He's preeminent. He's first in rank and order. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He deserves all of our worship and all of our attention. The Bible speaks louder and clearer than any false teaching. Now notice back in Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 4, it speaks of him having a name. You see that phrase, more excellent name? Well, the Bible says that in the end times, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess before that Jesus, before the name, before the name always refers to the essence of a person. In Acts chapter 4, if you're taking notes, verse 12 says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, it says that far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, the name of Jesus. He's far greater. He's far greater than any other name. Now, you know, we looked a little bit last week because some angels are named. We learn about Michael, the archangel. We learned about Gabriel. They have names. But no angelic name can compare to the name of the Son of God. There's no angelic name that compares. He has a most excellent name. His name and the essence of it. He's not merely mighty like Michael. He's almighty. He's not just a messenger like Gabriel. He himself is the word. And remember, there's another angel out there. His name is Lucifer. Actually, the name given to the devil. Did you know that there are over 40 names associated with that rascal? 40 names. They're all bad. The one that I've been thinking about this week was, and maybe this will be relevant to you, but one of the names that is given to the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Have you been accused this week? Anybody be falsely accused? Anybody been accused of stuff that isn't true? Let you know right now that that accusation came from the very pit of hell, not just the person involved. There's a spiritual dynamic to even the accusations that come your way. And so what do we do? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It's a spiritual battle that you're in. Jesus' name is far greater than any name of any angel. Now, why is Jesus superior to angels? Number one, he's God. Number two, he has a unique father-son relationship. He has a unique relationship. Again, in verse 5, he says at the end, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And this is all the question, to what angels did God ever say that to? The answer, none. Only Jesus has this unique relationship I will be to him a father. The kind of relationship that when Jesus is being baptized from heaven, the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The announcement from heaven. Jesus is superior. He has this relationship. Now, you'll notice in your Bibles that these verses are in italics because they're quotes from the Old Testament. So what Paul's doing is using the Old Testament to affirm. Those that want to go back to the Old Testament, the author's saying, look, I'll use the Old Testament to prove my point and to show you that you're missing something wanting to go back to religion. And so he quotes here in 2 Samuel. This is a direct quote, 2 Samuel chapter 7. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Jesus alone stands as the only mediator between God and man. The only God has only one and only one perfect, obedient son that through Jesus being sent into the world to secure our perfection and righteousness by faith. He and he alone, not the angels, provide the way to the Father. Jesus said that very directly. John chapter 14, verse 6. He couldn't have been clearer. There's not two ways. There aren't two ways or four ways or six ways to be right with God. There's only one way. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's not a pastor, that's not a pope, not a priest, not a church, not a movement, only Jesus, the only mediator. Not Mary, not the rosary, nothing, no one but Jesus. You don't need to go to anyone to get to Jesus. He's made himself available, how? By the incarnation. And you'll see how this all packed together of what power these truths are. So many people come to Hebrews and they focus on the difficult passages. And there are a couple, we'll get to them. But most of it's very simple and easy to understand and very relevant to our life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For he made him, speaking of Jesus, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You're in Hebrews. Turn over to chapter 5. This is great. We'll get here and unpack this later, but check this verse out. It's so powerful. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. It's speaking of Jesus. It says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience. How? By the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Listen, there's just some things you're not going to learn in life without suffering. Suffering teaches us obedience. Trials and tribulations teach us obedience. And so the desire for comfort and ease and easy life actually is taking you away from learning obedience. And you go, wait a minute, Ed, why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to go through pain? Can't I just read a book on obedience and learn obedience that way? Listen, read a book on obedience, but you won't learn it until you suffer. I mean, Ed, can't you just teach an eight-part study on trials and tribulations? As a matter of fact, we just finished one. So yes, you can listen to all the studies, but you won't learn obedience until you suffer. Suffering is the primary tool that God uses to teach you and me obedience. And you say, how? Well, listen, through the midst of trials, tribulations, and suffering, you and I, we get to a place where we realize our resources are inadequate. You don't have enough money to get out of this jam. You don't have enough wisdom to get out of this. You don't have enough strength to get out of this. You realize you have no power. You are where you are. It could be your bad decisions that got you there. It could be the bad decisions of someone else that got you there. But the reason why you're suffering and the reason why, why the trial is there and reason why things are in so upheaval in your life is to teach you obedience. Where else will you turn? Now, you can choose not to obey in the midst of trials as we have done so many times before. But the lesson will be repeated over and over, won't it? You know, people that disobey God in the midst of him drawing them to obedience, we refer to people like that. And, and we refer to ourselves because I can't think of anyone listening in that hasn't gone down this path. You're in the midst of something. God's wanting you to do a work and you rebel instead of obey. You know what we call that? We call that, you're going to learn the hard way. Jot it down. You're taking notes? Go ahead. Jot it down. I'm going to learn the hard way. Because you're going to learn. God loves you. He dwells in you. You're going to learn this. You're either going to learn it the hard way or the easy way, but you're going to learn it. Or another phrase that we like to use to those that disobey when God calls for obedience, we say that they've been rolled in the school of hard knocks. Say it with me. The school of How many of you have a degree in that school? I'm working on my master's, my PhD of just God. What am I thinking? And so God allows, as we've learned so many times before, 
storms to come in our Sometimes he sends them our way. Sometimes he sends us out into the middle of one. Why? Because just like our Savior, our captain, our champion, we learn obedience through suffering. And aren't we in that school? Jesus is greater than the angels because you learn nothing from the angels about obedience because they don't suffer. He has a unique relationship. A unique relationship. Now, angels, the final thing that we're going to learn today is found in verse 6. And that again, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world. Okay, pop quiz. Does firstborn mean created first? Not always. So this verse says that Jesus is created. Is that true? Yes or no? Well, where would you take me to prove that? We go to Jeremiah 31, verse 9, and it says, who is his firstborn? Ephraim. Is Ephraim born first? So that word definitely doesn't mean born first there. It's a spiritual thing. Who was born first? See, it's that easy. You don't have to be flustered at your doorstep. Anyone, the the error of every false teaching, it's the same error. I know they're all weird and out there, and some are really, you know, way out there, but the error is all the same. It's the same essence of error, and that is, who is Jesus Christ? If you don't have the character and nature of who Jesus is, everything else will be wrong. Now, number one, Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus has a unique father-son relationship. And then finally, notice verse six, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So here's number three. Jesus is worshiped by the angels. He's greater because the angels worship him. Jesus doesn't worship angels. Why? Because he's God. Jesus, the firstborn, superior, priority, preeminent, most important, deserves all the glory, honor, and worship. The Father demands that the angels of the universe worship Jesus. Why are you going backwards and elevating angels above the simplicity of Jesus Christ? All the angels of the world worship him. And this is a quotation from Psalm 97, that first part of it, where in the Septuagint version, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures, and remember Jesus, when he was born, he was worshiped. The angels were worshiping there in Luke chapter 2. Remember when Jesus was resurrected and ascended, angels worshiped there in Acts chapter 1, verse 10. When Jesus returns in his second coming, who's he coming with but angels? And the angels worship. I mean, Jesus is the person who entered the world, God, as man to save us. He lived, he died, and rose again. He is worthy of our worship, our worship in every facet of our life. But you know, it reminded me in the the context of of this this critical spirit that seems to have, have overtaken our society as of late. It just seems to be worse and worse where everyone seems to be a critic and wants to be a critic and where man's opinions are elevated over and above God's opinion of a matter and where with the stroke of a keystroke you can destroy someone with your opinion and with something going on Facebook it's almost like you see it as invitation so that you can offer your opinion and your opinion you become critics and and with all the television shows let's bring it down into something the Lord just put on my heart for us as a church this weekend when you bring it down into a, a, a context of a church worship service with all the television shows like American Idol and The Voice, it's kind of made us critics of music. And it's kind of made us critics of, well, you know, you might be here in a context of our church setting and you're just like, well, you know, 
So-and-so missed that key on that keyboard, you know, it didn't hit the right note, or they didn't sing the right note, or it didn't sound like, or I don't like that song, and I don't, and, and I'm like, listen, we need to follow the example of the angels and learn how to worship Jesus. When we're in full worship mode, whether it's song or Bible study, like, like an act of worship that you're engaged in right now, at least some of you are, is you are paying very close attention to the teaching of God's word. That's an act of worship. It's not an act of worship to be playing Angry Birds or some other thing on your phone right now or in your mind. You know, I remember some kids, some kids, I, I mean, I, I'm glad you're here, but I remember in the day, and it may still be happening, I don't see it now, but some kids, they would have, their parents would bring them and make them sit in church and they would have one little earbud up in their ear listening to some crazy rap music and then the other ear, they're supposed to hear me. I, I'm not gonna be able to overcome that nasty rap music that's in your ear and that's not an act of worship. It's not an act of worship to have one thing in your ear and one thing that, well, yeah, maybe I'll just follow my mom and dad and I'll just do what they say. But in your other ear, you're listening to something crazy. That's not worship. It's not worship to be critical. It's not worship for us as a church. This is something you have to realize because when you have things repetitive, you start to take them for granted. It happens in every facet of life. You take your spouse for granted. You take your kids for granted. You take your job for granted. You know, and what they say is true, isn't it? You don't know really what you have until you don't have it anymore. Same is true in the facet of our church life. We've had the same worship leader now for over 10 years, Pastor Ian. He's been with us for 10 years. So if you do the math, you know, let's just say, just for the sake of math, three services a week for 10 years, that's 52, 52 weeks. So that's 520 weeks times three, 1,500 times. Add another Wednesday to that. So that's another 500. So a couple thousand times. And then the, then the different times he leads worship as a staff, the different time he leads us in worship, all the times that, and, and you, you have, we have been blessed with a young man who's maturing in age over the years, with a young man who has a heart for God and is very talented in leading us in worship. It's not just like standing up here with a guitar. There are many facets. So the best thing that Ian can do for us is not make sure he hits the right note. It's not make sure he gets all the right keys and all that, although that's important. That's not the best thing he can do for us. The best thing he can do for us or anyone leading us on the stage, you know the best thing they can do for us is worship God. Because when they worship God, we use the phrase on purpose, they are worship leaders. Or in his case, worship pastor, where he's shepherding us. And you see somebody up here worshiping and in, and, and in tune. When you're worshiping, you make mistakes. And you're worshiping, you do things that maybe you don't hit the right note or right key or who cares. But the real question is this, why are you so critical of everything? Well, what is that? Now, again, I'm not referring to any email, emails we got recently, and I'm not isolating anyone. The Holy Spirit wants to bring this out in our church. He wants to make us more worshipful. He wants us not only in song, but in Bible study, but also in service. Oh, you're here for an hour and a half? Do you think an hour and a half of worship is enough for the week? Every day, moment by moment, by the moment you wake up to the moment you go down to sleep, your life is a life of worship. God has you where you are to impact the community that you're in, to share the gospel, to use your business, to use your car, to use your house, your condo, to, to everything about you is worship. But you're tested in times like this. You're tested. And, you know, we just start taking for granted. I know a lot of churches are doing this, but we don't and we won't. This isn't just a bunch of hired musicians up here who are perfect and, all, and they can put on a concert and they can hit all the notes and they can make it sound like the CD. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I don't want to sound like the CD. I want to have a room filled with worshipful people. My heart, pastor, I want to worship. 
I want to worship. I don't want to be so critical. He's, oh man, why, why that song? Why not? What do you? I'll tell you right now. Why did Pastor Ian pick that song? You want to know why? Because he picked it. It's his responsibility. That's his role here. He doesn't send me a list and go, oh, Pastor Ed, can I? No, I trust him. Pick the songs you want to pick. And lead us in worship, man. That's what you're here for. I want to follow you. And so, you know, things pop up from time to time. You might be up on the screen and go, oh, you know, I don't. Well, what about, they missed a letter. They missed a letter. Let me tell you how to fix that. You ready? You know, when they miss a letter or a word up here or whatever, those guys serve their hearts out back there. It's not just a worship team. It's a whole, they serve like crazy. So, so maybe there's a missed letter. You want to know how to solve it? Close your eyes. And worship the Lord like the angels worship Jesus. The angels worship him. And I haven't read anywhere in the Bible where the angels say, well, you know what, uh, that wasn't right and that wasn't it. You know, make a joyful noise for the Lord. You go, well, if I close my eyes, I won't know the words. You'll learn the words the more you sing the song. You know, grab it on, uh, on iTunes, maybe get on, you know, wherever you get your music and just start listening to the song and you'll get it and it'll get in your heart. But even if you have to close your eyes, you're like, man, I'm just, I've got a critical spirit this today, Lord, and I don't want to be all critical at church. I want to worship you. You close your eyes, you don't know the words. Just make it up. Everyone else does. Just make it up. You know how you sing songs and you're singing the words and you're like, then you find out what the words were and go, oh, you still liked it. But I think, I mean, it just spoke to my heart this week. God isn't looking for critical hearts. He's looking for worshipful hearts. And when the angels are in the presence of God, what does the Bible say in Isaiah? They're, they're declaring what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And yeah, maybe we're imperfect, but we are imperfect. In our worship service, you're new to Calvary or you're new in last, just know, our goal is not to have a polished service. Our goal is just to gather together and worship Jesus. That's our goal. And you know, for the last 18 years, We've done that. It may not be the best, and it may not be polished, and it may not, but I don't really care because God accepts our worship, and he accepts us as we are, and he invites us into his presence. And maybe you've come from a church where it's super polished and everything's in order. You know, that's, that's their responsibility. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to lead a group into the very presence of God and to be surrounded with men and women as we are that just love Jesus and will go with us. We're all worshipers. And so I don't know. I don't know if I, who I spoke to last night. I checked this morning. I didn't get any nasty emails from service last night. But usually people go, oh, were you talking to me? I guess so, because you email me. <laughs> but it wasn't personal. It's not personal. I just know you can spend your whole life as a critic and miss out on life. Because what does criticism do? It doesn't help anything. And I mean, really, I made a few jokes here so we could laugh on purpose because laughter helps us. But also I was taught if you get people laughing while their mouths are open, you can get the truth right down their throat. But <laughs> there are other things, and that is you can rise up church and serve. You can rise up. Maybe you are a person that's attention to detail. You can help in that area. Man, who knows? But you can use your gifts and talents for the kingdom of God. And the time we gather together can be a true worship experience so that when you leave here, you're strengthened, you're edified, you feel better, you're stronger, and you're ready to attack the world that's going to beat you down <laughs> from the second you walk out of the building. Like, this is a refuge. This is a place of worship. And you know what? Jesus is greater than the angels. Why? Because the angels worship him. And we would do well to follow the angels' example. Amen? This is Abounding Grace, and you're listening to a message from pastor and Bible teacher Ed Taylor. Catch a replay when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com. If you haven't already downloaded the free app, simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. 
Here in the month of February, we've picked out an excellent book written by Roy Hessian called The Calvary Road. In it, he teaches that it's through brokenness, humility, and confession that we can prepare our hearts to receive the fullness that God wants for us. If you long for revival and power in your life, this is a must-read. And we'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. Request your book today by calling us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, the phone number is 877-30-GRACE. If you'd rather not have the book but still want to make a donation, that can be done rather easily at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And we'd like to connect with you before the day is done. Say hello. Tell us what God is up to in your life when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage, and you can click on Connect With Us. Another way we can stay connected is through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Find the links to each on our website, AboundingGraceRadio.com. So don't miss our next study in Hebrews with Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow on Abounding Grace. And may God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.